God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear exactly what we need to hear from you today. And I pray that you would give us minds to comprehend and understand and to remember what we need to remember today. And I pray, Lord, you would soften our hearts, that we would be willing to do what you are asking us to do. And I ask it all in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up the series this week called Necessary Endings. And I don't know about you, I'll just be honest about what it's been doing for me. And this is one of the benefits, I think, of not having to preach every week, that we've got Pastor Tim and Pastor Jet, and, and they uh, get a chance to speak. And I get to do what you're doing there. It's just sitting and listening and absorbing what God is wanting uh, to speak to me. And I am amazed at it's sort of the emotionalness of this series for me. And I, I thought back to mistakes that I'd made in my past, things I wish and I knew I should have ended, and I chose not to and paid the consequence thereof and so dealing with some of those past things and, and then even thinking about now, God, what is it that are some of those necessary endings that I need to end in my life today so that I, there can be another new beginning here today? So it's been a really emotional series for me just thinking about these things and remembering so many things. I don't know how it's engaged with you, but one of the things that occurred to me when you talk about necessary endings is that not every single ending, much like this duck, not every ending ends well. And there are some days it just seems like life, you're just walking along and then all of a sudden you hit a grate and you just fall right on through there. Like, man, what happened? I don't know what happened. Well, there was an ending that happened. And so one of the truths that sort of permeated this entire series that we want to help you to remember and to understand is that endings are a very natural part of life. You can't get around having endings. It's just weaved into the fabric of the way the earth was formed and the beauty of God just works that way. And so some endings are expected and some are unexpected. Unexpected endings sometimes are what I refer to as the killer Ds. Like sometimes death is unexpected. Divorce uh, usually comes unexpected, at least maybe for one in the relationship. Maybe drug use has just turned your world upside down and it's now causing a necessary ending or disinterest, like I just don't care anymore. All of those kind of things can just come and wreak havoc in your life and cause an unnecessary ending that was completely unexpected. And yet there are seasons, and we talked about that at the beginning of this series, that there are seasons of life that we go through, like you expect at some point to get through childhood. And that's an ending. You end the childish things and you become an adult. And high school, like we expect at some point high school to end. It seems like it goes on and on and on, but high school eventually comes to an end and you hope that now I'm done with high school. I don't have to go back and do high school anymore. That's an ending that's expected. And so necessary endings are a great uh, part of life. But the truth that we want to communicate today and get our mind around is this idea that in order to have a great beginning, great beginnings come after ending well. And to communicate this point, what I want to do is sort of do an old-fashioned Bible study, if we can. I, I like preaching different ways and different styles. I think it's, it's one that it hopefully um, keeps me engaged a little bit more, and hopefully keeps you engaged a little bit more. So we're going to take the text that Jessica read just a moment ago from Ephesians 4, and I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles if you have them, or take the YouVersion Bible app and open that up so you can read along. We're going to project some of these up here as well, but I think there's something about digging into God's Word and just a little commercial announcement. If you 
you don't have a Bible of your own, um, I encourage just take one. They're right underneath the seats there. You can use it today and take it home. If you don't have one, we'll find another one to replace that one. We love people to be digging into God's word because we believe it's living and active and God is speaking through his word. And so we wanna dive into that today. And we wanna dive into Ephesians chapter four. And the first word that Jessica read uh, a moment ago, the very first word, if you remembered, was then. Now, that's a bad word to start with because you're like, man, I feel like I walked in halfway through the movie. I'm halfway through the, I, I, what, what do you mean then? And, and so to understand the then, you really need to go back, and I'm not gonna read all of the book of Ephesians to you, but just to dive back a couple of verses. And for those of you who were here last week when we installed our new mission coordinator, uh, Sue Dorn, um, these are the words that I spoke over her. And so these should be familiar if you were with us last week. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And as I mentioned last week, I think it's worth saying again, I love the fact that this is what Jesus does. Jesus gives. He doesn't assign this to somebody to take care of. Jesus himself gives these gifts to the church. This is what God wants to do. It's not just doesn't naturally happen. It doesn't happen by accident. That there's an intentionalness on God's part to establish some people for works of service in his kingdom. And I tell you what's great about that is, as my mentor said to me when I was growing up, I had a youth pastor, and he was one, along with my grandmother, who was one that just really encouraged me to go into ministry. And, and I fought that as long as I could. Some of you have heard those stories before. And finally, I remember the day, it was like, I, I think I'm just gonna, I'm not sure yet, I'm not really convinced, but I'm gonna head in that direction. And I remember talking to him and said, listen, I've, I've heard you and I think I'm gonna go and I'm gonna roll in college, I'm gonna move in that track toward a seminary kind of experience and do the undergrad here and go here. And he's like, oh, that's wonderful. And he's always very encouraging. But this day in particular, he looked at me and he said, well, that's wonderful, but... If you feel God's calling you into ministry, just make sure that God is calling you into ministry, that it's him, and it's not because I want you to or your grandmother wants you to, it's God that's calling you into ministry. I'm like, well, that sounds sort of discouraging. Why would you say something like that? He said, because there will be days that that will be the only thing that will keep you in ministry is knowing that Jesus is the one who called you. And this is what Jesus does for believers. He calls people into works of service for this purpose. For what purpose? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And this is the beautiful thing about gathering together as a church, as a congregation, that everybody uses their gifts. And that as we do so, and the more we do so, the more we are built up together. Until what happens? How do we know we end? Until we all reach unity in the faith. Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture? I mean, we're all moving in the same direction. We are all sold out on lifting up the name of Jesus. We are all sold out on connecting with Jesus, connecting with others, and changing the world. That we have this unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Not just a little glimmer of the fullness of Christ, not just a percentage of that, not just enough for everybody to get a little taste of it. It's the full measure. I love that word, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
And this is the beautiful picture that Jesus wants us to get our mind around. And this is the reason that we need to put some necessary endings in our life because we are missing out on some of the fullness of God because we're still grabbing a hold of earthly things. And as long as we keep grabbing a hold of these, we're missing out on the fullness of Christ. So that's why then is there. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. Boy, what a powerful word picture that is. And, and frankly, that's sort of an insult, isn't it? To be called an infant? You're no longer going to be infants. Well, what are infants? I, I'm mindful of this. And my daughter now at eight and a half years old, I can remember when she was a newborn and we wanted to go somewhere. I mean, the first thing you realize as a new parent is you don't go anywhere fast anymore when you have an infant and you think, because now you got to go get the car seat. Let's get the car seat. Let's try to get the child in the car seat and let's do the 18-point harness thing and figure out where all the buckles go and do that. Now you get them in the car. Oh, let's go get, we need to go get the diaper bag and all the form and get all that together. And, oh, some toys and blanket. Okay, let's get all that. Oh, I forgot to put my shoes on. Let me go. Oh, my keys. I left those in the house. Let's go get, and you just finally get on the road. And what dawned on me, now looking back over a period of time, is I really realized one of the things my infant daughter never said is, Dad, where are we going? Because <laughs> she couldn't. She didn't know how to use those words yet. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't really care. <laughs> She's in the car seat. I guess I'm just going. That's sort of what we do. And this is the picture that Paul paints for these early Christians. You'll no longer be infants. What happens when you're infants? Well, you're tossed back and forth by the waves. That's not a really good picture. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. But we got far too many infant followers of Jesus today. And this is what's frightening, is too many people just like, well, he seemed to be really passionate about what he did. I guess I'm just going to follow whatever he says to follow. And this is dangerous because you can always find people to communicate and say what your ears want to hear. But a better question is ask, am I hearing what Jesus would have me hear? And what I hearing, does it jive with what God has already communicated in his word? And is it leading me toward a relationship with Jesus? Is it making me, am I experiencing the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Or am I just getting blown here and there, going every different direction? So we skip to verse 15. Instead, well, instead of being infants, what's the instead? Well, instead, speaking the truth in love. And I, I just, again, I had to pause here because this is one of those verses that a lot of people know and they quote and it's misused all the time and they don't even know the context in which it is spoken. You ever heard somebody communicate that to you? Speak, just speaking the truth in love? Usually it's done after they said something really harsh to you. You know, they come up to you and they're in your face and, ah, you should and you better and you ought to. And then they couch it at the end with just speaking the truth in love, brother. <laughs> no, you're just a jerk is really all that is. <laughs> We're not speaking the truth in love. You're just mean. Man, you're just hard-hearted. You're, you're not speaking the truth in love because speaking the truth in love, and this is where most people don't know the rest of the verse, what happens if, speak, if you are speaking the truth in love? Then we will all grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him, Jesus, who is the head, that is Christ. So this is the goal of every word that comes out of our mouths. If it's not helping people connect with Jesus, it's not helping And so every careless word that comes out of our mouth 
is either building up the body of Christ or it's tearing it down. And I've spoken careless words. You've spoken careless words. But this is where the reminder to speak the truth in love. Whose truth are we speaking? Is it my truth? Because I can feel better. I can look down on you with sort of condescending eyes and I'm better than you kind of attitude. Is, is that what I'm doing? That's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth of love is coming alongside you. And boy, here's my journey. And boy, I've stumbled and fall along the way. But man, Jesus has set me free from that. That used to be me. That's not me any longer. My life has been changed by the power of the gospel. So speaking the truth in love. I love the fact that it all is about Jesus. That takes a lot of pressure off being a pastor, by the way, because it's never about you. It's always about Jesus, and sometimes you just gotta get out of the way and point people to Jesus. That's really the job description of pastors. It really is the job description of every follower of Jesus, by the way. I can remember when I started my vicarage, that's your internship to be a pastor. So you go four years in the seminary, four years of grad school, and your third year is a year where you're serving at a church. And I pulled into First Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Florida, and doing campus ministry there at the University of Florida. And I remember showing up, and I was, I think, vicar number 33 in, in a long line, obviously, of vicars, and they've had a lot of vicars since that point. Every year, they got a new vicar there, and then they had a whole wall, the names and pictures on there. I remember just sort of looking at that wall as I arrived and, and thinking, wow, I'm going to be history here. I got my picture will be on the wall, and then somebody else will be right after me. And, and I just, as I was thinking about that and reflecting on that, I, I just had this sense, like, I don't want to build something that's me. I want to build something for Jesus and for his kingdom and what's going to last. So I sat down with a pastor almost the first few days I was there and said, listen, I, I'm here for a year and I want to learn as much as I possibly can, but I, I don't want to build something that is just going to be torn down next year by the next vicar. So would you tell me from your vantage point, because you've been here a number of years, what does this church need? And he laid out to me, here, from my vantage point, here are three things I think would be great if you accomplish these this year. I'm like, great. I'm going to set up, I'm going to learn everything I can, but I'm going to do these things for the sake of the church, not about me, because my experience is not to make me feel better. And this is why, frankly, I'm so glad that we've got a church where we've got other pastors who preach, because it should never be about one. I'm so glad uh, the expectation is not, John, we want you to preach 99.9% of the time. And, and like the week after Easter, you can have Tim or Jet preach. I love the fact that that's not the world, because it should never be about one individual, because it's always about Jesus. And so what happens when you live this out? Skip down to verse 22. You were taught with regard of your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To put off. That's a necessary ending. To put off. And I remember putting the series together and reading through this text and just praying, God, would you give me something new here that I can just grab a hold of that you think your people need to hear today? And, and the one word I kept coming back to was the little verb is, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Because I think far too many followers of Jesus have this tendency to believe, well, I, I said I was going to follow Jesus, so I'm done. No, no your body is still is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There are still things that we need to take off. There are things that I need still to take off. And if you've been following Jesus for a while and you've never had God convict you and you've never been face to face with something that you need to take off in your life, you're not really following Jesus. And so there has to be this regular rhythm of confession and regular rhythm of, God, what is it that I need to take off? Because I know, left to myself, I'm going to go off in all kinds of different directions. So where am I being corrupted? And let me take off this old self. 
For what purpose? Verse 24. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness. Notice the order of things. First, there's a necessary ending. Put off and then put on. Put off and then you put on. And a lot of us, well, none of us have experienced the fullness of Christ yet because there's still things we need to put off. And there's always something more. This is the fascinating thing I love about following Jesus. There's always something more. I'm never done yet becoming more and more like Jesus. You're just on that trajectory. Oh, here's something else now I need to take off. And it doesn't make me bad, it makes me human. And so let's take that off so I can put on something else so I can experience more of the fullness of Christ. This is the rhythm of following Jesus. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you're like, hey, wait a minute, we went from verse 24 to verse, or 22 to verse 24. You missed one. <laughs> verse 23. Well, I'm going back now to 23. To be made new. This is what happens. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. And that word made new is passive. I, I love that. Because that means it's not something you manufacture. It's something that's done for you. This is the work of God in your life. This is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God says, this is the work I'm going to do. As you put things off, that's your role. I'm going to be working in you to make new the attitude of your minds. And over and over in scripture, you see this, the renewing of your minds, how important this is and being followers of Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's good to dive into God's word. This is where it's good to be around other believers, to put off so you can put on so God is making new um, in that process. I don't know if you've ever been driving along and seen somebody with a bumper sticker or somebody with a sticker in the window that says uh, this, God is my co-pilot. I don't want to offend anybody in here, but every time I see that little thing, I want to speed up because I want to see who's driving. <laughs> Man, if God is your co-pilot, who's driving the vehicle? That's what I want to know in the midst of that. I, I just can't imagine God sitting in the passenger seat. No, no, you, you take the wheel. I'm not familiar with this area. <laughs> There's a lot of construction going on. I'm not sure where I need to go with that. I don't mean to offend anybody. I get the sentiment behind God is my peace. always with me. I, I get that. But I tell you, the longer I've walked with Jesus, the other thing I get is, man, I can't. Man, I can't save myself. I can't right every wrong that I've ever done. I can't make amends to God. I can't fix a broken relationship with him. I can't save myself. I can't change myself as much as I want to and have the desire to. I can't change myself. I don't have the power to do that. I can't do it on my own. I can't. You can't. And this is where I think when you finally come to that realization, all of heaven cries out, amen. They're finally getting it. You can't. Because Jesus did. You don't have to. Jesus lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross and he died upon the cross, a sinless sacrifice, it covers and pays for every one of your sins. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to clean it up. And God says, I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to dwell inside of you and that is going to change your heart and change your mind. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough for you. It's enough. 
So as we wrap up this series and, and this message today, I want to give you four questions to wrestle with, and I hope you wrestle with them now. I hope God will speak to you through these questions, but I hope more importantly than that that you'll take these questions home with you, and maybe this afternoon or this evening before you lay your head down at night or maybe throughout the week, you're just going to come back to these questions and have an honest conversation with God. And the first question is this, am I becoming more like Jesus? I mean, that's the role of following Jesus is to become more like him. And as you look back over the trajectory of your life, and that doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake. It just means as I look, am I becoming more like Jesus? Are there more of what the Bible refers to as the fruits of the Spirit? Is there more love in my life? Is there more joy in my life? Is there more peace in my life? If you start seeing those things more and more, well, congratulations, I'm becoming more like Jesus. That's wonderful. But if you're not, let it be a warning sign. And maybe I, I, I need um, to repent. Maybe I need to put off some things so that I can put on Christ and experience the fullness of what he has for me to experience. Another way to ask this question then is maybe what do I need to end? What kind of necessary endings are, are needed in my life? And maybe already you've got them and you can put them in code on your paper there if you want to and jot those things out. What do I need to end? What is the necessary ending that I know needs to happen in my life for me to experience this fullness of Christ? Next one with this is, what do I need help? Ending. They talk about this a lot in addiction. You, you can't do it on, on your own. You need somebody, and so they'll have sponsors that, that are given. And, and I think part of this gets in the way of people because there's a pride in all of us that says, no, I, I can do it on my own. And, and maybe you wouldn't be clinically addicted, but maybe you're just stuck Maybe you need some encouragement, somebody to come alongside you. You don't have to stand up here and confess it before everybody, but maybe you need one other person. Maybe you need a small group of people to come alongside you. Hey, I know this is an ending that needs to happen in my life. I don't have the courage to do it. Would you help me to find some encouragement and find some hope and some strength in community? So where do I need some help? And then finally, what am I gonna do? In light of what I've heard today, in light of what God is speaking to me today, in light of this series that we've been going on for four weeks, what now am I going to do? What is God asking me to do? And if you're here this morning and you're not really sure what to do, I'll give you a real simple one that you could do. Uh, Wednesday night is Ash Wednesday. And it was after the 8 o'clock service, someone came up to me and, and said, uh, I, I don't know what Ash Wednesday was. I didn't really grow up, um, you know, Lutheran. I, I've never heard that term before. I'm like, oh, Ash Wednesday. Well, it's the beginning of a 40-day journey. And the 40-day journey leads us toward Easter. So if you count 40 days from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday, not counting Sundays, there are 40 days in there. And that's a whole time of preparation so we can get ready to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Ash Wednesday kicks that off. And we're going to have a special worship service in here at 7 o'clock. I invite you to come back. That might be your to-do list this week where we take and begin that journey of remembering there had to be a cross because we couldn't do it on our own. So maybe that's your to-do list today. Or maybe the to-do is, I, I need to confess that Jesus is my Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer or a follower of Jesus, but you feel God tugging on your heart. Today's the day to confess that. And we want to do that collectively, because maybe you need to reconfess that today. It's important for us to reaffirm what we believe. And we're going to join with Christians around the world now. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to use these words from the Apostles' Creed as together we confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.